This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Millat. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 3. This season, you will get the privilege of meeting the formerly incarcerated and those who mentor, employ, and restore hope into their lives. I am partnering with Defy Ventures to bring you this dynamic series that will teach us what the journey looks like for life after prison. The young David Shirley, before his transformation, is a person you love to hate. You are not cheering for him. You are actually glad he ends up behind bars and hopes he learns his lesson. He found the wrong side of the law at a very young age. By his own admission, he was a knucklehead kid who was impulsive, didn't think of consequences, and pretty much grew up in the prison system. He was in and out of juvie with burglaries and car thefts at young ages. David narrates one of the most detailed accounts of the actions that led him to his 38-year prison sentence than any of my guests thus far have chosen to reveal. Sadly, the sentence could have been much less had he not had such a provoking attitude towards the prosecutor. For 10 years in prison, he continued with his negative mindset and behaviors despite all the punishments the prison threw at him, until ultimately relocating him to a different prison where the first glimmer of hope appeared. His 25 years of incarceration experience was actually a great benefit in his current role as the post-release program manager for Defy Ventures in the state of Washington. David, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast and for taking time to share your story. I'm excited to learn about you and, uh, how your life impacts others and what you do at Defy Ventures. Thank you. Thank you. To get to know you a little better, I'm going to start off with a super easy, non-threatening question. If we could time travel and you could live anywhere in the world at any time in history, where would you live and why? I think I would just go back to um, my past. My, yeah? Um, yeah, yeah, when I was growing up, when I was younger. I don't um, necessarily think I would change a lot of my past because it's who I am today, right? Mm-hmm. But I think I would I would guide myself in, in other ways. Um, things that I did in the past, like people I've wronged and stuff like that, I wouldn't mind um, changing um, the outcome of that. At what age you know? do you want to go back to if it was your past? Um, the optimal age. You know, I have a vivid memory of I was five years old. And uh, people might people might get a chuckle out of this one, but I was five years old. Um, it was Chris around Christmas time. After Christmas time, I got a fire engine, and um, with um, and so in the back of our hallway, I, I, I grew up in uh, Riverside, California. Okay. And um, but um, I was born in um, Santa Ana, and our house was in Santa Ana at the time. I had this fire engine, and I had this crazy idea as a five year old kid that um i wanted this fire engine to put out a fire mm-hmm. so what i did was i caught the back hallway on fire in my house oh, no. with some matches oh, and no. <laughs> was, yeah was upset that this fire engine did not work would wow. not put out this fire 
Uh, it didn't cause uh, too much damage. From that time on, I think that's where I became sort of a, a destructive kid. That's my first mm-hmm. vivid memory of kid that just didn't think things through at the time, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of who I am now. I always try to think things through. But at the time, um, I just never, I didn't, consequences weren't nothing to me. Consequences, wow. I didn't think about consequences. I just acted. Yeah. So. Impulsive. You could go back to five and have the brain you have now. <laughs> you would you see your life going a little bit differently, huh? I would definitely try to tame my impulsiveness. Since you've already started telling us a little bit of your childhood, would you mind telling me what it was like growing up being you? You've given us a little sneak peek into that. What were some of the the joys and wonderful parts of growing up? And then what were some of the parts, the traumas and the, the hardships that shaped you and, and the life that you ended up choosing? I think a lot of my joys and, you know, and hardships and all that, they kind of go hand in hand. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would, I would say, I wish I could say that, Hey, I had a traumatizing um, youth growing up and that's what led me to, you know, essentially, living a life of crime and, 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 and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't, I had, I mean, now granted we weren't the richest, um, family. We weren't, um, uh, you know, my dad worked hard though. My dad was a hard worker. He worked three jobs still to this day. He retires. Yeah. He retires next month, but, and he's 70 years old. So he's retiring at 70 years old, but he's like one of the hardest working, um, man I know in my life. Um, wow actually the hardest working i shouldn't say one of he is the hardest working growing up he worked three jobs you know he was a struggling mechanic and that's what he did but he put food on the table he we always had a place to live i don't have i can't blame it um myself and my past on that so uh, i had those the holidays were were very joyous for our family our family mm-hmm. would get together and you know we had wonderful time the bad pretty much stemmed, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say the fire incident with the, with the fire truck or nothing like that. I mean, I just know that that's where I've started, you know, becoming, you know, a nuisance, not mm-hmm. necessarily a nuisance, but a, a kid that was impulsive didn't think things through. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering what order birth order you are in your family. Are you an only child or are you, how many siblings do you have? I have two, um, sisters and they're both um they're both older so you're the baby okay yeah so were you close to your siblings you know growing up my sister that was 18 17 months older than me uh, we kind of battled in the beginning right because Mm -hmm. when we were younger there was always that rivalry type deal but um it wasn't real bad so it lasted for a a, a good little period then um we moved to washington and it kind of dissipated were you excited about the move a change of scenery I like the sun. So I was, we grew, I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in hot weather, water, and not to say that those aren't up here, up here in Washington, but they're definitely um, colder <laughs> and long winters. When I, when I first moved up here, um, it was like one of the biggest snowstorms they had in, in a long, long, super long time. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a change. I think that's what brought me and my sister um, closer together. Um, we moved up here because my sister originally moved up here. Um, she was getting a little bit of trouble mm-hmm. down there and, and she moved up here and it straightened her out. Mm-hmm. So 
me being the knucklehead that was always in trouble in and out of juvenile hall, um, my parents said, you know, we're going to make a change. And so that change was to move up here. Oh, um, wow. unfortunately, unfortunately that backfired and I'm sure we'll get into, we'll get into that why it backfired here. Yeah, here definitely. I, I definitely want to go that direction. But first I, I, I keep hearing you say, you're totally taking ownership of all this. You're not placing blame anywhere, um, which is, is actually, I think, unique to hear. And so I'm sure you have an opinion of this whole nature versus nurture debate. You have great parents, it sounds like, and you keep saying, I just made this decision. I don't know why I chose this. Could you speak on that a little bit? How much of it do you think was environment? How much of it do you think was just personal choices or people you were around that influenced you? I think just be, you know, it just depends on, you know, your mindset, your willingness, your, uh, your devotion and whatnot, or impulsiveness, right? Yes. Some people are impulsive and some people aren't. And I think that's where it lies with me. Like my dad, he was, when he was upset, you knew he was, you knew he was mad, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he never laid hands on, on us kids. But then again, he was gone a lot, right? Because um, he worked two or three mm -hmm. jobs at a time. I think that, uh, you know, it just really basically came back to, I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be accepted by, by my peers. And so I would do stuff um, like somebody might say, man, that place would be easy to break into or something like that. Well, I was like, oh yeah. And so I did it. Never thought about it. Later on in life, when I started looking back, I just wanted to fit in, right? Fitting in was really important to you, it sounds like. Yeah. Walk us through what led up to the incident that you were actually charged with and incarcerated for. It sounds like you spent some time in juvie. So these small infractions eventually led up to a larger incident. Is that the case? Yeah. I mean, I had a, an extensive juvenile record. I had criminal mischief from throwing rocks at cars on the freeway to stealing cars to um, burglarizing houses, businesses, um, mm -hmm. stores. And this is all before I even moved up to Washington State. It led me to believe that if I did crimes with people and they got caught and whatnot, then I would get caught. If I did it by myself, I never got caught. And so mm. um, I try I always blamed other. The only reason I did a year in the juvenile hall is because so-and-so blabbed his mouth or told on me. But in a sense, I'm the one that put myself there. That person didn't drag me into that house. That person didn't make me steal this. Mm -hmm. I did that all 100% on my own, mm -hmm. right? And so I, 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 don't, I don't, I can't blame it's easy to have that escape go right it's always easy it to have that person that you can blame at the time i did blame others right and so i lived a life of, of, of hating um the, the the people that ended up telling on me and um, that did nothing but just you know when you when you hate somebody that's too much that takes up too much time of my of my life i don't need that i don't need to hate somebody i mm -hmm. i just need to just let it let it go and and not have to think about it um, yes. anymore right hate seems to fuel flames of of anger yeah. and bitterness and revenge and all those horrible things doesn't it yes big time so then we, we moved up here because i was getting in trouble and, and my parents wanted a better life for me and not to go down that route so my dad went down that route when he was a kid you know he was he was in and out of foster care and um you know juvenile hall as a, as a, as a kid Mm -hmm. And then he got older and then, um, you know, he had a family and then he started, he worked out of that. But no, just leading up to, we moved up here to, um, to um, 
keep me out of trouble. And um, like I said, it backfired. I I, mm. I just started living a life that um, I didn't like being up here. I moved to a small town in Arlington, and and it was far different from um, where I lived in in Riverside. Mm -hmm. And um, I would be impulsive. I'd stop thinking about um, you know consequences and and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then um, that's what led to my crime. You know, I was just running around, just doing what I wanted, drinking and uh, hanging out with, you know, knuckleheads just like me. Mm -hmm. And uh, just so happens I um, started hanging out with a knucklehead that was just as crazy as I was, just was just as impulsive as I was uh -huh. and um, just didn't think of um, consequences. At one point we're at a, at a party, I was on the run for a string of burglaries and and car theft. I had a banking account at the time because I was working. I had quit my job and was bouncing checks left and right mm. um, to stay on the run. During that time, um, I didn't care though. I I didn't care. I didn't. All I knew is I could just cash this little piece of paper. Um, I could buy something with this little paper check, and 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 off I went. I ended up um, on the run camping hiding uh -huh. so to speak were and, you in um, contact was, with your family or your parents at this time were they trying to speak into your life and you were just ignoring it realistically the one of the reasons i went camping is because the cops searched my house looking for me first time that's ever happened for me mm -hmm. right and so now i was kind of ashamed right because now i brought the police to my house and so uh, i, I kind of felt a little bit of a shame and so I, I i just hit out you know for one fear of you know getting caught because if they searched my house looking for me um you know chances are they might come back right yeah because i stole a gun uh -huh. i stole a gun and it just so happens it was um from a, a police officer's house so were you eventually caught for that crime after another crime okay series of crimes okay yeah that led up that led up to my long um incarceration so basically what happened was I was on the run for stealing the gun and I, I was on the run for um, stealing the car and um, a couple other burglaries. So I had, I think it was two burglaries, taking a motor vehicle without permission and then, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the gun and bouncing checks. We're up, uh, we're camping and my sister would come up and uh, hang out with, with us and my girlfriend at the time. One day a couple came down, got a campsite, they're around our age. And said, um, hey, we're going to have this big party. You know, the whole town's going to be here, you know, type mm -hmm. stuff. You guys should show up. I said, okay. We were going to the party. Well, I met another couple um, on the other side of us. And um, I invited them down, too. And they said, oh, yeah, not a problem. And keep in mind, I had this gun from, um, from the burglary still. So we went to the party later on that night. And um, they brought their dog. It all starts over a dog. It was a Rottweiler. And there's this other little dog that started barking at it and whatnot. This is what led up to the whole thing. The bigger dog just kind of let the little dog know by just grabbing it and saying, hey, stop messing with me. Mm -hmm. But everybody started surrounding. I was off to the side a little bit. Everybody started surrounding the people that I brought to the party. We don't know these individuals. There's probably about 40, 50 people there. Mm. And they're surrounding them. And, and some of these guys look like knuckleheads, right? So mm -hmm. I see tension building. Mm -hmm. So I ran back to my campsite real quick and I grabbed the gun. It was a 44 Smith Wesson. It was a pretty big gun. I ran back to the campsite and everybody had, were surrounding them. And I see tensions were very, very high. So I fired the gun in the air and everybody scattered. Once everybody scattered, 
we left. My co-defendant at the time said, um, oh man, I'm just gonna stay, man. Let's see, we had all those uh, kegs of beer over there. I'm just gonna stay. I said, man, are you serious right now? I just fired a gun. These guys are gonna, you know, want want to, uh, you know, tangle with this. So uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of them, and there's only uh, a couple of us. Uh-huh. So he's like, oh, now I said, okay, cool, you're on your own, bud. I mean, it is what it is right, at this point. So we w- we left and went down to another campsite. We're we're hanging hanging around for a little bit, and I came back to my campsite in my girlfriend's car, um, which is the car I was using. It had a couple of slashed tires and a broken a couple of broken windows. I was like, these people didn't even know where I was that I was here. What what's you know what I mean? They didn't know who uh-huh. where my campsite was or anything like that. Then I went down to the campsite and I seen my co-defendant and he had a black eye. I said, what happened? And he goes, oh, I went back and was going to get some beer. And, and they said, hey, weren't those your friends? And, uh, you know, he, he got in a tussle and, and, and got roughed up a little. Yeah. And they followed him back looking for us. And uh-huh. uh, sure enough, they found the um, where he was at and they slashed the tires and broke the windows out. So now I'm, I'm irate. And a couple of days later, we're going into town and it was just me and my co-defendant. We crossed the road and um, I pull over for a second to adjust the radio station. As I start to drive off, a car drives by. I, uh, my co-defendant looks at me and he goes, that's one of them guys that were at the party, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the cars. So I take off after the car. I catch up to the car and I flash my lights at him. I'm trying to get him to pull over. They won't pull over. Mm-hmm. They speed up. They're playing games with us. So I'm assuming they know who we are. Just like it was nothing out of just thin air, just like in the movies. He, he goes, he goes, watch this. And he pulls out the gun and he fires it at the car. It all happened so fast. Everything just stood still. First, my first reaction is I e-braked it and I just pulled over. I'm like, man, what just happened? Because the car swerved. I said, well, I'm going to catch up to him because if they're, if they're shot, we're just going to stay behind them. Wherever they pull off, we're going to sling by them. They pulled over at a store. We seen them. We seen the police coming up and we, we ditched the car and, and I called my sister and she came and picked us up. She didn't know what was going on though. I just said, Hey, the car broke down. Come get us. We hit out. And then I got, we, we got caught like two days later in a hotel room. Mm, was the person injured that got shot? Yeah, they were shot in the arm. There was two people in the car. Oh man. So I got, I got charged with um, two counts of um, first degree assault during my, my trial and whatnot. I'd mocked the prosecutor. I mocked him big time. And um, he upped my charges a couple of times. Well, I, I took a plea bargain. They're alpha al- pleas. I don't know if you ever heard of that. No, I haven't. But it, it's basically like, listen, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't think I could prove my innocence. You know, so it's basically like saying I'm guilty, but I'm not guilty type deal okay. is the best way I can explain it for burglaries and car theft. And they never charged me with um, with the, um, the assaults yet because uh-huh. they knew I was already going to prison. And when my time was up, a detective came down to the prison right before I was supposed to get out and said, hey, I want to ask you some questions about this incident on Mount Loop Highway. And I said, um, what incident? Mm-hmm. And I just played it off like that. I don't even know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes, um, and basically I just, I, I belittled him too. I told him, I said, how long did it take you to drive here? It took you five hours. And, you know, when he told me how long it took him. And mm-hmm. I said, you just wasted your time. Five hours. Now you got to drive back another five hours with mm-hmm. nothing because I don't, 
I don't know. I don't have nothing to say to you. I don't, you know, yada, yada, yada. You should have just called, mm-hmm. you know? So I just, I just belittled this guy. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up going back, of course, and then they charged me. They charged me at the time with just um, one count of second degree assault. I went back to court and uh, the whole time my co-defendant behind the scene, he had like eight different stories going with them of what happened and whatnot. How much? And I didn't have none. Only thing they had to go off of was what he was telling them. Mm-hmm. And so when I went back, um, they charged me with uh, one count of second degree assault. And so now three years later, my co-defendant's about to get out. He already took a plea bargain for the shooting. And uh-huh. I'm just now getting charged with this. He decided to, to do the right thing and, and, and tell the truth because he was blaming me for the shooting. But keep in mind, I drove the car. I knew all this was, was happening. Mm-hmm. I didn't stop any of this. Mm-hmm. I aided and embedded and I drove the car. I chased the car. And so I'm mm. just at fault is him pulling the trigger. And during that time, I was angry. I was bitter. I was, I've already been in prison yeah. for, for three years. And, um, yeah. you know, and here I am getting ready to get out and these, they're charging me with this and, and they're trying to give me a lot of time. And so mm-hmm. I, I had total resentment and anger. I couldn't see past the time that they were given. I didn't see no hope whatsoever. You know, that saying is, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Well, the tunnel looked blocked to me. At that time, I couldn't register time and age at 22 years old. You know, so especially somebody that grew up in, in, the, in the prison system mm-hmm. and in juvenile hall, I didn't mm-hmm. have a, a, a sense of time. In, in the end, I got charged with two counts of first degree assault. Mm. And um, all together with all the time that I had to do, I had to do 38 years. That sentence doesn't end till 2030. So here we are in 2021 talking about that I wasn't getting, I, was, I had to do 38 straight years. How did this but affect was, your family? When you do prison time, your family does prison time. You bring yeah. them with you. My first three years, I think I got like one visit. And then my first 10 years in prison, I never seen my mom and dad in 10 years. Really? Yeah, I seen them in the courtroom. That was it. I didn't see my dad. My dad refused to go to the trial. My mom sat there the whole time. How did that affect you? I understood. He didn't hate me. He just couldn't bear to watch. Uh Then the reason why I didn't get visits is because of my attitude, my my behavior. I was uh, always in trouble. So I was in a a closed custody setting. I spent 10 years in that setting. Because uh, I was always in trouble. And I can't imagine. The reason why I got out of that setting was because I kept on getting in trouble. Finally, I got kicked out of that prison just because of, um, of um, the stuff that I, I would do and the way I acted. So um, that consequence and, and, wasn't getting to the heart and the root of what the problem was. They kept giving you punishments, but it wasn't changing who you were, changing your mindset, changing your... Um, impulsiveness, right? You just continued on the same path. So it sounds like the change happened when you changed prisons. I mean, yeah, essentially. Yeah. And so I went to um, another closed custody facility. It was called Walla Walla. At the time I was at Colin Bay. And at the time they called it like the gladiator school for the younger generation. Right. And so um, the, the the Colin Bay. Yeah. So then that's pretty much why I stayed there for so long. As soon as I went to Walla Walla, I had a counselor. I said, listen, man, uh, you know, they said, why do you get in trouble? And I said, I don't have nothing to lose. 
And they said, yeah, you do. You're getting out one day. And I said, okay, when? You know, uh, I'm going to be what? How old? I'm going to be in my 60s. I don't care. I'm away from my family. And, and, what? and he goes, so if you got closer to your family, would you stay out of trouble? And I said, I don't know, maybe. Maybe. Mm. I was playing their game, right? I was mm -hmm. just like, maybe, you mm -hmm. know. And um, he goes, if you if you stay infraction-free for this for this next year at your review, I'll put in for you to go um, get closer to your family. And I said, okay. And so I did. I trusted him. I did it. Wow. And sure enough, he put in for me to go to Monroe, and they denied me. They denied me to go to the closest prison to my family. That prison was a prison that um, had good programming, right? Had a lot of people going in. And I was, like I said, I was a knucklehead. And one year being out of trouble really wasn't enough to, to justify them, you know, I guess, sending me there, I'm assuming. So they sent me to another prison. It was on an island. It was McNeil Island, right? Man, I, I started doing guys. I, I got a job in correctional industries. And, and then I started seeing self-worth inside myself. Wow. Um, I got a job to where I was optimizing and, and scheduling jobs and furniture and stuff like that. And I, I realized, oh, I have a, a I kind of have a knack for this kind of stuff, right? It mm -hmm. kind of, I kind of seen, I mm -hmm. could visualize a lot of stuff moving through the plant and whatnot. And um, I, I started to see that I was good at, um, you know, managing stuff. But I'm still doing dumb stuff. I was drinking, making Pruno and running uh, black markets trying to sell cigarettes and mm -hmm. smuggling them in through the, through mail, through the industry's program and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was doing, I was doing knucklehead stuff still, but then uh, my mom got, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. And so um, at the time my, my family just started coming up to visit me because I was closer to home. Now they, mm -hmm. you know, after all this time in prison, they started coming to see me mm -hmm. just to find it out that, um, you know, my mom could potentially die. She had esophagus cancer. She lost her whole throat. She survived. We went almost a year. You know, my mom couldn't talk. She couldn't eat. She had to eat through a tube that was into her stomach. And and during the time, during that time, I couldn't. She couldn't visit, right? And so um, she would write stuff down, and, and and she could hear me. And I talked to her, and and she'd write stuff down, and they repeat to me what she said, and all that mm -hmm. stuff. We started to get trailer visits before then, extended family visits, what they called it. Mm -hmm. And so my mom and dad were able to come in. And, and visit me in a, in a trailer setting for a 48-hour period. A lot of prisons don't have them. Washington mm -hmm. State is, is unique for having that. So I, I was able to, you know, start to build a relationship out of chaos, right? Because I was I literally come in from chaos into a setting with my family. Then mm -hmm. I could let my guard down. Right? Yeah. I could be myself. I could be myself. Because in prison, you're wearing masks right? You're constantly mm. wearing masks and depending on what group of people you're talking to, you're switching, you're constantly switching masks. And that's um, a great analogy. I can totally see it now that you say that. Yeah. It sounds like your mom around. was your impetus for change. Without a doubt. Right. I mean, uh -huh. for one, you have to want it, right? There, there has to be that desire. You have to hit that rock bottom, that want, that that like, hey, I'm, I'm tired of being down here. I don't want to be down here. This is, I've lost everything. I, I, you have that desire to climb out. I told myself, I said, um, I'm just going to, you know, try to get out as early as I can. And, you know, I focused on my appeals. I was trying. I really yeah. wanted to, you know, prove my, uh, my worth. And then I had a backfire moment. I, um, I snapped mm -hmm. and I got mad 
at some staff. They were trying to do some stuff to me. I got sent out of there. Yeah, and I went back to Walla Walla, that same place that I was at. Uh-huh. And I had that I had that same counselor. And I went in there, and 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 he was like, "What the hell, man? Uh. And you were there for." And I was doing good for, keep in mind, I was there for like a little over four years. He goes, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the same thing. You know, you're going to be here. You're going to be here for a year, um, but I'm not going to hold you back. You know, mm-hmm. but they didn't accept you to go to the, the next prison that's close to your, that's close to your house. And I said, I know, but you know, they, he, he put in for it. By golly, they sent me there. I, wow. I, I finally got that. I finally got that chance and I got sent there. And it was the best thing that I think that ever happened to me. I, I, I got there in 2009. You know, one day I was out on the yard and there was this, this guy that I was in Palm Bay with, you know, the, the, the so-called the gladiator school. And, and this guy, I kind of looked up to this guy a little bit and he was standing off to the side of the yard by himself. And it was, uh, I remember it was the 4th of July. They had a band out on the yard and the guys were playing music and, and this guy just came on the chain a couple of days the, uh, the prior week. I walked up to him. I said, like, what's, what's going on? I was talking to him and he goes, I'm just doing my own thing, man. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, ain't nothing wrong with that. And he goes, no, for real, man. I said, he goes, I'm not in, I'm not, I'm not in none of the drama. I'm not in none of the mix. I'm just trying to do my own thing and go mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a guy that was a knucklehead as much as I was back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, uh, I'm just trying to do my thing. And uh, I was like, okay. And he goes, matter of fact, I don't, I'm not trying to talk to anybody that's not on, you know, trying to help themselves and their situation. He goes, if you want to talk to me, I'll be in that building right there. And he pointed to a building that was called the, um, the PAB, Programming Activity Building, right? Mm-hmm. Some people call it Prisoner Activity Building, whatever. But it's, it's a place where they have um, NAAA college courses, self-help classes. I said, man, I said, I said, I don't need I don't know if you know this about me, but I mean, I'm not trying to be, you know, a knucklehead stuff like that. And he goes, yeah, everybody says that, right? And he goes, you can prove it. And so I took Ooh. him up on that challenge and I, and I showed up to um, an NA meeting. This season is brought to you by Defy Ventures. They are a national nonprofit with a beautiful vision of cutting recidivism in half by leveraging entrepreneurship to increase economic opportunity and to transform lives. Defy's programs are helping currently and formerly incarcerated people across this country defy the odds by providing pathways that lead to employment, entrepreneurship, and a successful re-entry. Please visit Defy's website at defyventures.org and sign up for their mailing list to stay in the loop. Links to Defy's website and social media can be found in the show notes. Would it be accurate to say that your transformation of your heart began with your mom and her cancer diagnosis, but the transformation of your mind began when you chose to start going to that activity center at Monroe? I would say they both go hand in hand. Okay. Right? I think the, the, the first one led up to it, right? The okay. first one mm-hmm. put me in position to do that. You know, the cancer and, the, and with my mom, that situation, it, 
focused. It shifted my mindset, right? It shifted mm-hmm. it to be somebody other than what I was, which mm-hmm. was a, a impulsive. I mean, I could be impulsive still, right? But I use my impulsiveness now as a tool. Mm. Right? It's a tool. I'm glad and you not, see it that way. Now I, I, I just started to learn how to, you know, hey, I, I shifted. My mindset shifted. I started going to those cla- uh, NA classes and stuff like that. I seen uh, they had college courses. And one day I started talking to an individual and they said, yeah, we have college courses here where a person can earn a college degree. And I'm like, a college degree? Come on. You can't. What? That's possible? And keep in mind, I always thought I dropped out of school. Teachers used to tell me all the time, you're going to amount to nothing. And yeah, I've had bad experiences. And, and so I thought that. I literally thought that. I'm proud to say now, though, that I actually went, went to, started going to college and I actually graduated with a 3.96 GPA. Wow. And, and I, realized, I realized that when I realized that I wasn't stupid, that I was smart, I was just impulsive. Once I learned how to control my impulsiveness and use it as a tool and actually sat, sit down and, um, you know, focus my energy on, on what the goal was, you know, once I figured out what uh-huh. my goals were, you know, that impulsiveness started to die down and I started to use it as a tool. Right. Congratulations. Uh, so, wow. That's, that's impressive. I mean, what an incredible transformation of your mindset at this point in your well, life. Well, during that time, I, I actually had an opportunity. An officer came up to me and he goes, David, there's a job opening up. They work with all the programming, all the programs and whatnot. And he said, you should apply for it. And I said, okay, I applied for it. I didn't get the job, right? They said, oh man, you've been a knucklehead your whole life. And you know, in prison, you know, this is a, this type of job is before you. And I was like, um, you know, they, they said that in a roundabout way. And it kind of was discouraging at the time, but I didn't, I stay focused. The person that got that job ended up losing it like six months later. And then um, I seen the lady that did the, that was the hiring. Uh, her name was Marjorie. And I went into the office because it was an actual office. The, the clerk in there have has their own office, which mm-hmm. is unheard of in a prison setting, right? Mm-hmm. I walked in there and I told her, I said, listen, I know you told me before that, you know, you didn't think this job was for me because my past history and stuff like that. I said, you're right. That wasn't for that person, but I'm not that person. This is who I am. And I told her who I was today versus who I was. And she sat down and she looked at me and she just had a blank stare. And I was thinking, no, you know, mm-hmm. and then she goes, you're my new clerk. Oh, I just love like how that. you distinguish that, who you were. You didn't disown the past, but you, you showed her that you are different, that that was part of your old self, but you've learned from that and you've grown into a new person that she can trust yeah. and use. That is Beautiful. What an amazing mindset transformation. Thank you. That's where it all started, believe it or not. That's where a lot of like my, where I got, where I'm at today started with that job, believe it or not. Because the the university helped me going through the college courses and whatnot. Uh But that job opened up so many opportunities for me. I started doing fundraisers for the community throughout the prison. I created a data a database that housed all con- kinds of resources for um, the guys getting out of prison. It but sounds no, so like you found all- your purpose. I did, and reentry was it. And so then I started, uh, I started focusing on helping guys get out. And then 
guys started to set, I came up with a, a sheet where guys would fill it out. They had something similar to that in the office, but it wasn't organized. It mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, I organized it to the point mm-hmm. to where I could get you exactly what you needed or That's with the information that I had, fantastic. right? I knew exactly where it was at. And then the prison came up to me and said, Hey, um, have you heard of TEDx? And I said, um, no. And they said, um, here, and they played a video for me. And I said, oh, that's kind of cool. I like that. And they said, you know, your organize, your or- organizational skills are um, kind of cool. <laughs> and we want you to, to um, help us. We want you to be the inside curator for this program, for this TEDx. You're going to run it from inside here. And no um, yeah, we'll have an outside person that deals with it, but you're going to be the one that deals with it in here. Uh-huh. And they, they put that, they put that trust in me. And I was like, whatever. And they said, no, you're going to have as much authority on this program as mm. this staff member does. And um, that, that's the only way we figured it's going to work and to get people to believe in it. And sure mm-hmm. enough, they did that. And um, we had speeches and whatnot. And one of the speeches, um, the speakers were, were, they were being coached. And uh, my boss went to Toastmasters and asked the sponsors, hey, do you know anybody that would be willing to be a speaking coach? And they said, yeah. And one guy volunteered and came in there. One of my buddies that I was helping him with his speech, he was, he was pretty sharp anyways. He went in there and teaching him, you know, different techniques and whatnot. We had the TEDx. It was successful, very mm-hmm. successful. After that, you know, I started doing all kinds of programs and whatnot. And um, I was like three quarters of the way with my degree and whatnot. Then I heard of clemency, you know, commutation from the governor. And I heard mm-hmm. about that and I was thinking, um, I think I fit the criteria. You know, my co-defendant, he's been out now at this time for 50, over 15 years. He's been free. And here I am still doing this time. Because of this TEDx, it just started, I started opening my eyes to different possibilities. And I've seen the clemency and I was thinking, I fit the criteria. It's time for me to go. I put in a petition to get a hearing and uh, my prosecutor came in, the one I used to belittle mm-hmm. that hated me. Mm-hmm. He came in still guarded and, and thinking that I was the same, the same person. He came in and um, he goes, when we're sitting there, I said, this is my opportunity to um, convince him that I'm not the same person, right? That's what I was thinking. I had to convince this guy. We're in there for an hour and it was time to go. And at the time, I thought to myself, I blew it. I blew it. And then all of a sudden I heard the keys running down the hallway. The officers came to open the door and all of a sudden I heard them lock the door back up because they started to turn it. I heard it turning. And then all of a sudden I heard them run off. I heard the Mm -hmm. keys jingling down the hallway and they were gone. Mm -hmm. And I told myself, I said, this is your second opportunity. This is your opportunity. You don't have to sell nobody nothing. Just be yourself is what I told myself. Just be yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't try to convince anybody of anything. Just be who you are and, and, and talk to this man, mm-hmm. just like a human being. And I told myself that, and I did. We were stuck in that room for another two hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we talked, and he talked about my childhood. He talked about his childhood. Um, and we, we just talked. Something happened. He, then he told me at the end, he said, listen, um, he goes, I'm not going to support your clemency, but I tell you what. I'm not going to um, oppose it either. I'm not opposed to you getting out of prison. That's all you needed. And behind the scenes, 
he helped me. I got I I I, I positioned for clemency. I got shot down. Mm. I got shot down, and he knew the person on the clemency board, and uh, one of the people on the clemency board. He goes, "I'm not opposed to this guy getting out. Why did he get? Why did he? Uh, why did you guys shoot his thing down?" They said, "Well, tell him I'll reapply," and I reapplied, and I got a hearing. And I'm grateful for that hearing because there's a lot of men and women in the state that deserve to get out just like I did, if not more. And I got out and I had a unanimous decision and I got out. How I got involved with the organization I'm with now is I started doing good. I volunteered for an organization that I was volunteering for inside. It's called Interaction Transition. And what I did when I got out of it, I helped, you know, put stuff in order uh, when I was in, in the work release program. Mm-hmm. I had a job interview with Goodwill. They encouraged me because I would help Goodwill out when they came into the prison with their mock interviews and helping guys write resumes and stuff like that mm-hmm. for my old job. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I believe I can write resumes with my eyes closed. That's how I feel. That's cool. how I feel I can. Uh, I, I love it. I enjoy writing resumes. And I don't know why. It's weird. They encouraged me to apply for this job to be a um, workforce navigator type. Employment specialist. That's what the position was with Goodwill. And so I applied. I got the job. Um, as soon as they submitted all the paperwork to Goodwill, to, to HR, they said no. They said his criminal history, no. And they said, we tell these men and women when we're inside that we're trying to get employers to look past this. And you guys, our company's shooting them down. So anyways, they shot me down. They said he's got to wait at least a year. His crime's too violent. I, I forgot about it. I, I didn't even think about it. Right. Cause that's where my passion lied mm-hmm. lies with is, is, is reentry and helping people navigate. I'm sure there's um, a I huge need doing, for that as well. There is big time. They asked me to apply again for that job a year later after I got joined down after the year was up. Uh-huh. And again, I got that job again with goodwill and again, HR shot it down. <laughs> really? They said, well, yeah, they said, well, we know we said wait a year, but, you know, the, the crime is just too violent. First degree assault, you know, it's, we're, not, we're not trying to have that. He's working with a vulnerable population with people getting out and stuff like that. And they said, yeah, he's one of them. He's one of those people getting out. Um, and then my buddy told me about a job opening with the five ventures. Mm-hmm. He said, um, Dave, I know this is because he was with me inside. He goes, this is you. This is what you do. And he was on the he's on the board. So you'd never uh, heard about the five ventures before while you were in prison. Oh, yes. Um, Defy ventures came into the prison system in Washington, not nationally, but in just in Washington okay. after I got out. Oh, OK. The, as I was leaving, they were coming. OK, I see. And so. He goes, this is in your wheelhouse, Dave. This is what you do. And I said, yeah. I said, sure. I looked at it. I, I seen the job description. And I said, yeah. I said, this is perfect for me. So um, I applied. And here, here we are now. Right? I got the job and, and this is where I'm at now. I think you see hope now. It's not a dark tunnel anymore. At all. Do you convey that yeah. to the people you work with? That, I think that might be one of the most important things you convey is the hope um, because you've experienced the lack of hope, so you know the words they need, the hope they need, the opportunities they need. You're the perfect person for this position. I, I believe I am. So Defy Ventures is they're a great second chance 
organization, right? I mean, they're they're so awesome, and they 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 go in there. They don't just teach somebody to become an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. They don't just go in there and say, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, you're just gonna become an entrepreneur," you know, and we're gonna teach you to become an entrepreneur. No, they don't do that, right? They come in and they say, "Listen, you know, in order to be successful when you get out, you got, you know, it's it's all about character building, right? Because you have to build, you know, one has to build a, a character. They have to build somebody that's that can represent themselves and others, right? Mm-hmm. They have to build that, bring that out of you. They don't have to build it. They just, have, they just teach you how to bring that out of you, right? Mm. You know, and, and also on how to, you know, just re-entry and just in general, like how to write a resume, why you write cover letters. And the mentors that they bring in to this organization is just phenomenal. It seems that they give, um, like you're saying, the ultimate second chance, but the more than that, the I see you, I believe in you. That's something that was lost inside of each of these people for so long. And to have somebody say that and then act on it, all these mentors and all these professionals who actually believe they can accomplish this, I cannot imagine what that does to one's psyche, to one's spirit that has been close to the brink of death, I would imagine. Yeah. Even if, even if a person in our program doesn't start a business, right? Let's just say that they're still working on their business. Mm-hmm. But what this program does is it helps them become that better employee, right? That employee that, um, you know, a boss just sits back and says, this is it. This is the guy. This is somebody that, that thinks about innovative ways to, they understand how my business works, right? Mm-hmm. They understand the business concept mm-hmm. of how, you know, things flow because of what they learned. They learned the ins and outs of business and how to run a business. And they get all this from, for one, the curriculum. The curriculum is just, is, is, is fire. It dives into everything. How to use a computer, right? We give guys laptops when they get out or um, Chromebooks. We have a partnership with Google. Google's amazing in itself, right? Google, yes. um, you know, they've got all kinds of workshops that they've created for us. There's nothing out there like it. No, it doesn't sound it. This is, once I heard of it, I could not wait to learn more. I could not wait to interview people who work with Defy and hear their experiences and how they just truly live what they believe about giving second chances and, and seeing the best in each person. And I'm so thankful that there are people out there doing that. I wanna ask you one final question before we get to our closing questions. From your experience, your personal experience, and from your experience working with um, people who've been released from prison, what advice would you give to the general public if you could tell them a two-sentence summary of people who have been in the system and have been incarcerated? What would you want to tell us of those people? What would you want to tell the general public that we, how we should act, what we should know about the system and about these people? I would just tell them, listen, my neighbor, they don't know my past, right? I could be your neighbor, right? But you don't know any different. You think I'm just like you, Mm -hmm. right? Which I am. I'm Mm -hmm. a law abiding citizen, but I made mistakes, right? Men and women coming out of prison. Yeah, we've made those mistakes, right? It doesn't define me. It doesn't, I'm not a criminal. Uh, I'm, I'm a human being. You can't say, you can't put a name 
on uh, on an individual getting out saying that he's always going to be a criminal. No, that's something that that happened, right? That's something that doesn't define who I am. We are no different. Giving men and women second chances is real because if you don't, what's going to happen? It's just going to, it's a vicious, never ending cycle. The cycle's got to end. What I would ask then is, have you ever had a second chance in anything in life? And if so, why did you deserve it? Great question. If you're not willing to give, if you're not willing to give them that opportunity, why did you deserve that second chance? Mm -hmm. No matter what it is, right? It's all the Mm -hmm. same thing. It's a second chance. It is. It seems like as much as incarcerated people go through a mindset change, people who have never experienced incarceration or the justice system, they need as much of a mindset to accept people coming out. We both need mindset changes. Because yeah, of course. We're all human. Every single one of us has made a mistake. But I would also ask them is, why don't you take the time and find out who these men and women really are? Exactly. Right? That's why I'm doing this. Sit this down is a, with them. Yes. This is why I'm doing this because some of us have never ever met an incarcerated person. And yeah. this is what's going to change our hearts. This is what's going to change our minds. This is going to give us an opportunity to see, hey, you can just ask questions. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be heard. Tell me your story. This is taking the fear out of that exact relationship that you're speaking of. You know what I'd also tell them? I would say this. Volunteer. If you volunteer your time and you still feel this way once you volunteered then you have a right to feel that way right because you sat Mm. down and you've witnessed it firsthand right but i guarantee you i guarantee you they're going to come in and they'll volunteer and they're going to find out that these men and women that they're talking to are any different they just they know they're human beings just like they are they're going to see the impact you know, for one, we live in a, a justice system that's broken. Yes. And they don't do nothing to fix this system that's broken, but mm-hmm. try to put more duct tape and build something else onto it, which now it's just become a nasty looking monster. Yes. Right. And yeah. we house more people in the United States of America mm-hmm. than any other country in the world. It's a horrible statistic to be first place in. (laughs) And we're supposed to be a country that is geared towards land of the free, land of opportunity. But we just throw away the key and don't give people opportunities Mm -hmm. that have, you know, committed, you know, acts of, you know, what society deems that are wrong. And Right. I'm not trying to say that men and women, some men and women didn't commit an act. I, like I deserve to be in prison. When I went to prison, I needed to be at prison. I should have went mm-hmm. to prison. I deserved to be there. Did I deserve to be there as long as I did? No. Did I, was I redeemable? 100% redeemable. Yes. Did everybody's to, redeemable. Yes. Right. Did I need to, did I need to step back and, and reevaluate who I was and, and transform myself? 100%. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's men and women that are never, ever going to get this opportunity. It breaks my heart. Because, because of the justice system. And it's sad. It's sad. It is. Well, that's beautiful Mm -hmm. advice. Could you give us one more piece of advice? What is your 
one best tip to make the world a better place? We're not better than each other. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. Mm -hmm. um, we're all equal in this. You know, be willing to come out of your comfort zone. Look at others that are around you and get out of your bubble. What are you the most thankful for today? Not taking things for granted. Once you take things for granted, then um, you lose sight. You lose perspective of what's really important. Well, your last question is, what is okay. your favorite quote? Oh, my favorite quote would be um, your um, network. Your, basically, your network is your net worth. What? So Never basically, heard that. Oh, it's out there. Very so, interesting. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing. Did you know who said it, or is that just a, a common quote out I, on the you know, internet? <laughs> I've seen it a few times. I actually read um, a book we have with Defy. Actually, they have book clubs and stuff, and um, there, there, they have it in there as well. It's rich okay. Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, it was in there as well. But I thank greatly you. appreciate your time, your vulnerability, and sharing your story, your experiences, what you've learned what you've gained, what you lost. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really, I really enjoyed it. Yes. And I appreciate your work and what you do to get these messages out there. I appreciate your time as well, just as much as you say you appreciate mine, I appreciate yours. Thank you very much. Education taught David how to hone the skills he didn't even realize he had. It also taught him to take the negative impulsiveness that had plagued him his entire life and reframe it as a tool that he can use, not one that controls him. Although his transformation was a long time coming, when it occurred, it was genuine. Like he said, to change, you have to want it. Once his mindset changed, there was no looking back except to use his past choices to motivate him to keep progressing forward. David's encouragement to volunteer with an organization that serves the incarcerated population and learn for yourself how to make a difference in the justice system is a wise one. Fear is what separates us. Once you meet the inmates, then you can make a judgment, but not until then. Everybody is redeemable. Everybody deserves a second chance. Psychiatrist and author Dr. James Gordon expresses the same sentiment that David discovered in prison. It's not that some people have willpower and some don't, he says. It's that some people are ready to change and others are not. This might just be what being a resilient human being hinges on. May we all dig deep and find the courage to change ourselves and our world for the better, just as David has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.